Howdy folks, welcome to the Hunting Stories Podcast. I'm your host Michael and today we're going to hear from Justin Parrish. Uh, Justin reached out, he's actually a friend of Phil Wise who we had on the podcast a couple weeks ago and Justin said, you know what, I've got some great stories and I'd love to share them with you and the listeners and I said, let's do it. So Justin, thank you so much for jumping on the podcast. Uh, we've got some great ones for you guys today. He tells a couple from his time in the military. Uh, he also goes into an African safari that he went on not too long ago. So enjoy. There's some great stories. Justin, thank you again for sharing. Now, let's go ahead and let Justin tell you his stories. All right, Justin. Welcome to the Hunting Stories Podcast. How are you doing today, bud? Uh, not too bad. Yourself? Uh, you know what? I'm, I'm doing better now that you're here, my friend. <laughs> so I wanted to say... Thank you very much for uh, for coming on today. Uh, you are friends with Phil Wise, who has been on the podcast before. You, just like Phil, reached out and said, "Hey, I've got some stories." And so, thank you. I, I've told you, I've told you know a lot of people if they listen past the actual stories on the podcast that I'm looking for the everyday hunter. I want to hear those stories because those often to me are the most entertaining. So, thank you, Justin, for jumping on the show. Uh, why don't we start just by letting you introduce yourself to all the people? Oh, yeah, sure. No problem. My name is Justin Parrish. Um, I grew up outside of Amarillo in a small town called Umbarger, Texas. Um, After high school, I went in the Air Force for 10 years, so I got to travel a little bit. Uh, It kind of gave me the opportunity to hunt stuff that I never thought I'd really hunt. Um, For instance, one point I lived in California, and I had a chance to hunt black-tailed deer. I didn't know. Growing up, I didn't really get to hunt much because my dad didn't hunt so my uncles Mm -hmm. are the ones that got me into it they're the ones that kind of set that bug in motion they got me addicted to something that sometimes (laughs) i think is could be worse than drugs yeah yeah sometimes depending on how you get into it yeah yeah, depending (laughs) on how you get into it sometimes i think it might be more expensive Um, (laughs) so i was i don't want to say i was sheltered but you know i didn't get to spend a lot of time with my uncles but then when I went in the military, it's kind of when it really kicked off, and I got to learn a lot more stuff. That's great. How did your How did your uncles get into hunting, and, and your dad wasn't necessarily just wasn't his thing, uh, or? Uh... Well, my, the uncles were my mom's brothers. My dad's family okay. is all from Illinois, and my okay. mom and dad met in the Marine Corps. My mom's from here, so they moved back here when they were both got out of the Marine Corps. So my dad just never had it growing up. Nobody in his family hunted, but. My mom's family, all my uncles have hunted their whole lives. So it was one of those things, any chance I got, I would tag along with them and uh, just, I'd hunt anything they'd let me to hunt, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Why not? Right. (laughs) Well, that's cool. That's, 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 I'm glad that somebody got you into it. I I think I'm kind of with you. I don't, well, I mean, you had uncles that got you involved. I uh, kind of stumbled across it myself. My in-laws introduced it to me a few years ago. Um, but they aren't by any means big hunters. They just recreationally hunted a little bit, you know, elk season every now and then. Uh, but it's, it's, it's taken over. It's taken over my life. So I'm right there with you, Justin. Oh, it's it. Yeah. I used to fish a lot when I was a kid until I figured out about hunting and then fishing got boring. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I've had some people on that like are, are big fishermen and have been in tournaments and stuff like that. And I'm like, well, feel free to tell fishing story. They're like, you know, all fishing stories are kind of the same. 
So, uh, yeah, fishing can be a little boring sometimes. It's still a great pastime, fun to do, but uh, it's, oh, it doesn't really hold a candle to uh, to hunting, in my opinion. So, oh, no. all right, Justin. Well, let's uh, let's kick things off. I know that you said you got lots of stories. You've been all over the world. Um, why don't you set the stage? Where are we on your first hunt here, and, and kick the story off? Uh, probably when I was a kid. So, my family uh, is in Turkey, Texas. That's where I learned to hunt. Basically, that's where my one of my aunts and uncles live and so they're cotton farmers so growing up we we're pretty much poor so we didn't get to go on fancy vacations so my mom would take us she'd go hang out with her sister and we'd go hang out on the farm and so uh, i learned to hoe cotton when i was a kid because they were cotton farmers mm-hmm. and so the way my aunt and uncle used to pay me was they'd pay me in 22 shells yeah <laughs> uh, i had a semi-automatic 22 and they would you know, hey, you go out, hoe the cotton, here's a brick of 22 shells. And I just walked through the tree row, and, man, if it moved, it, I, I was aiming at it. I can't <laughs> tell you how many squirrels and birds and everything else at 22. Yeah. And it, it that's when I kind of learned the squirrels mainly because I didn't have a shotgun. So some of my cousins did, so they get the jump shot. So I had to learn how to be kind of sneaky to be able to get a shot at a squirrel at the 22 had to really pay attention. Uh, and then from there, uh, I joined the military before I ever actually shot a deer. And probably one of the most memorable hunts that really set an addiction to me was for archery. Um, when I was in California, I shot a black tail with a rifle. And then I'd come home on leave. I'd shoot a white tail here with a rifle. And it was fun. And then I borrowed a bow. Because on base, we were allowed to hunt on base. The base I was on mm-hmm. was 98,000 acres. Okay. And so they had wild hogs and they had a black tailed deer. But they were broken up in zones and I wanted to hunt this one zone as archery only. So I ended up borrowing a bow from somebody. And compound got it or uh, traditional? It was a compound. Okay. Um, it was a Martin. It was, a, it was really a target bow now that I know more about it because it was like, bright anodized blue real flashy <laughs> okay. and so we're in this this archery only zone on base and uh, i had what they called the g11 tag which california you're allowed to buy two tags but if you're hunting on base and you bought a g11 tag you could use it for a doe tag so i had a buck tag and a doe tag and we were in this area and it was tall grass it was probably up to my waist and i'm six one we spotted this doe and this guy I'm hunting with is like, man, we could sneak up on it. He's like, just low crawl. So I, it seemed like it took eternity. We <laughs> spotted this doe. I bet we were 120 yards out maybe. And so I'm just like military wise, like I'm doing the low crawl, like slow, quiet, trying to really sneak up on it. It's taking forever. And my heart's pumping the whole time. I'm all amped up and ready to roll. So I keep sneaking, I keep sneaking. And at one point, I'm like, all right, I'm about 40 yards out. Like, this is it. So I knock an arrow, get my release on, I'm ready to roll. And I get up on my knees, and I get up just high enough where I can see, and I'm 20 yards out. And I drew back and I shot her. But it was such a rush. Like, it's it's yeah. a rush that's hard to really describe because, like, I'm getting goosebumps now thinking about, like, yeah. low crawl <laughs> through grass for a hundred yards just trying to sneak up on a deer that's aware of everything 
and that was that was probably one of the biggest excitement deals I've ever had. I bet, I bet. Now the the bow, did you just like borrow it that day, or had you borrowed it and practiced a little bit? Uh, I had it for about a week. Had <laughs> <laughs> so, you ever shot a bow before that? Yeah. So my aunt and uncle in Turkey gave me my first bow. They gave me a old. I still got it. It's an old recurve, uh, Ben okay. Pearson. Actually, let me look. I'll tell you, it's it's the Ben Pearson Tournament 7010. It's wow. one of my other aunts shot it in college in the 60s. That's cool. And, That's super and cool. And so I used to, like when I was a kid, I'd save my allowance. And those back when, before Academy and all the big stores, you know, we'd go buy everything at Walmart. I'd go buy the cheapest aluminum arrows at Walmart that I could afford. And it seemed like every time I had allowance money, I was blowing it on these arrows. I'd walk around our pasture <laughs> and try to shoot cottontails with these arrows in this bow. I lost so many damn arrows. <laughs> I bet. It's, it's like by the time I had money again, I, had, I was down to one arrow. I'd go buy six more. It, it was That's just awesome. a vicious cycle. But that was the first time I really shot a compound bow. Not only... The only thing that's probably my saving grace on that deal was I was a weapons instructor. So I, okay. it'll, I did a lot with trigger control for the different weapons we shot. Gotcha. And then I taught so trigger proficient control. proficient everything. So I was proficient in the trigger aspect of it. So, I mean, I was, I was shaking like a dog trying to shit a peach seed. Like, it was all <laughs> over the place. But luckily, I didn't just hammer that trigger. Yeah. And luckily... Uh, if it had been 40 yards, I may have missed. I was shaking so bad, but we got it done at 20. So there you go. There you go. So since that, did you switch over to archery entirely or did you still do a mixed bag and do a fair amount of rifle? I, I still did a mixed bag. Um, I started after shortly after that, I went and bought my first bow and it was a Matthew solo cam. Uh, it's called the SQ one. Okay. And I shot it a lot. Um, I still kind of went back and forth. You know, I do archery season, rifle season. And then uh, in 2007, I got sent to Korea for a year, to South Korea. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I kind of, I didn't get to do a whole lot of hunting. Actually, I did get to hunt a little when I was there. um, Interesting, before pheasants so pheasants are native to asia and so we had them on our flight line and so we had like a bird patrol program that you signed up you came out to the firing range you got qualified on shotgun and then you get to sign up on certain days and during certain times there was no flyer low fly time and you could go out on the flight line and shoot pheasants that's and it was just, cool. <laughs> it was to keep, to keep the population down. So they didn't fly in the, you know, cause one pheasant inside a motor and F-16 does a lot of damage. Yeah, I imagine. And so I, I taught the shotgun classes for qualification. So I knew the guy in charge of the program. And so he would take me out. He'd call me be like, Hey, I got to go out in the flight line. No one signed up. You want to go for 30 minutes, go shoot some birds. Yeah, let's go. So we'd go <laughs> out there and. We went out one day between me and him. I think we killed 20 or 30 pheasants. Wow. Yeah, it was. I kept a lot of their tail feathers. I have them in a, actually a, a shell casing from an A-10 warthog. That's super I put, cool. 
I put all the tail feathers in that shell casing. Uh, can you, can you send a me a picture of, of that? I'd love to see that. Yeah, absolutely. I'll send you a picture and we're done. Um, but then I took him back to the number. I'm from Texas, like small town, Texas, where a lot of stuff didn't really phase us. And mm-hmm. so I'm at the firing range and one of the other instructors had a base populace M16 qualification class going on. And I'm out at our dumpster, just debreasting these pheasants. <laughs> And people are coming out like, Sergeant Parrish, what are you doing? I was like, oh, I'm just cleaning the pheasants. I'm just, there, there's people like, what? Like, what kind of redneck? I'm like, <laughs> do you do you want anybody else to teach you up and stuff? Like, <laughs> that, that a lot of times the military people are like, uh, are you sane? Like, there's, I will tell you, military experience wise, I mean, there's tons of people from all over America that, never never had their eyes open to anything besides what they see on TV or in the city. You know, I, I knew people that didn't get their first driver's license until they were 25, 30 years old. Wow. Never, you know, because where they grew up, they walked everywhere, took a taxi, you know what I mean? Yeah. You come from a big city, like, having a car is, in a way, it's stupid because you don't have where to park it. You don't really have to go that far, so... Yeah. No, that makes sense. That makes enough sense. That's funny. So you, did you, did you eat all of the quails that you put down or, um, the pheasants, pheasants, excuse me. Yeah. Did you oh, eat them all? Oh, yeah. or... we, <laughs> we were back in the barracks. We cooked them up. That's awesome. We had a, we had a grill and you know, we had a kitchen, so we'd fry them up or we'd have fish fries, pheasant fries. That's amazing. So, yeah, I bet I bet they were they were weirded out when they saw you getting them, but probably when you started feeding them to them, they were pretty happy you were doing it. Oh yeah. <laughs> and it's, I used to I opened a lot of people's eyes to deer meat. Um, There's people in the military that never had venison, never really knew people actually ate it. They thought it was something that just happened on deliverance. You know what I mean? Like yeah, I don't think I had any meal. venison until I was probably 32. I don't think I had wow. anything. And then I had my first elk. So yeah, I've only been hunting for seven years now. So I'm, I'm pretty new to it. I mean, it's cool. I like getting people involved and showing them. Uh, I kind of, I take my nephew hunting with me quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I got him his first year, probably three years ago, four years ago. I let him shoot a buck on a, a place that I used to be able to hunt um, outside Amarillo. He shot a really nice eight point, real heavy horn. Um, that was his first and only deer so far. But yeah. he's gonna I just got a new lease, so he's he went out with he went out with me to set up a blind and check everything out last weekend, so he's probably gonna go with me a couple times this year. You got try a hook, huh? Him, try to get him a doe with his bow. Oh, that's cool. Was this the first the first uh the first buck was with a rifle? Yeah, I let him use my AR. I've got an AR-15. That's, <laughs> like, I mean, I built it hodgepodge stuff from gun shows. Um, it's basically an uh, an H bar. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's got like the, it's got a heavy match barrel, but outside the four grips, it just looks like a regular barrel, AR barrel. Mm-hmm. And I got a Magpul PRS stock on it, and it's got a Redfield scope. And I've let like my best friend that I used to hunt with, um, his stepson, 
his daughter and a stepdaughter have all shot deer with that rifle. I've shot deer with that rifle. My nephew shot deer with that rifle. That's amazing. It's, it's just an easy to shoot rifle. It's accurate. And just, it's been a good rifle yeah. so far, especially I've for taken kids. a, I bet, I bet. I took an AR with me once into the field. I was hunting in, uh, up near Dallas actually. And, and so I took my father's AR and uh, I was there for hunting hogs, which is why I chose the AR over like my 270. So I could uh, hopefully shoot a couple more rounds and drop a couple more hogs. Didn't end up seeing any hogs. But uh, the very last morning, we're about to take off and, and a couple does walk in front of me. And I, f- I fire that thing and you hear the firing pin go off and nothing. Just oh. nothing. So like I, I, I pull out the mag and I pop the, the shell out and I, I'm just messing with everything. And the deer's not even moving. So I managed to put everything back together and I pull back again and I fire, click. Just firing pin goes off, but nothing, nothing happened. So, um, took it back to my father-in-law and was like, I don't know what's wrong with your gun, <laughs> but it does not work. And, uh, I don't know if it was the gun or the ammunition. I'm not sure if he's actually tested it yet. Cause it was all his, his, um, you know, it was his gun, his ammunition, but we tried to fire that thing several times after that. And we just couldn't get it to work. So, um, not all ARs are built equal. So I'm glad you got a quality one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it's, I dropped the biggest pig I've ever shot. Uh, I dropped that AR. I was out deer hunting, and uh, where I had my tree stand, a big old tree fell down. So I just went, so I'm going to go hang out over here and just kind of see where I see the deer moving, get a game plan of where to set up a blind or a tree stand or where to hunt, mm-hmm. try to get back on their movements because that tree fell down uh, middle of archery season in Texas. And so it like screwed up their whole pattern. They weren't coming in, they weren't walking. So I'm just sitting there in this, I'm in a tower blind and this big pig comes walking down like where we mowed a walkway. I was like, good Lord, is that a cow? I thought it was a calf at first. I look over and look, that's a pig. I guess deer hunting's over. And this big old boar and I, I aimed at him and hit him right in the shoulder and he started flopping. I was like, oh, he's done. I put one more in him and I aimed for his, right behind his ear. Mm-hmm. Hit him again. He got up and ran right towards me. Yeah, jeez. As he's coming towards me, I put another one in him. He hits the metal, the big metal ladder that the blind's sitting on, the big platform. Bounces off it, goes off to the right. I go out a different window, put about three more in him. He runs off in these trees, and I can see him. He just sits down like a dog that you told sit. I popped him about two more times. He went down. I sat in that blind for about 30 minutes before I went to look at him. <laughs> I bet you did. Man, the hogs can be mean, man. I went on a, a hog hunt in, this was northwest of Dallas, and uh, we put down a bunch of hogs as a group. Uh, but this one guy put down this huge hog, and as, as we're butchering him and getting the meat ready, they just kept finding these like pockets of pus. It's pretty gross. Um, but when we get down to it, this hog had been shot seven times before, like just T- t- took all these shots and just kept going and and lived. So they're tough and they're mean. Yeah, there's uh, down at Lackland Air Force Base in San Antonio. Um, it's called the Kelly Annex. Uh, it may change now since it's been so populated, but you used to be able to hunt out there and it was shotgun, muzzleloader, bow only. And they had a big pig that would get into the base housing out there, like kill people's dogs and cats. Damn. And so that, they brought people out to track them down with dogs. And when they finally killed this pig, they had a jar, like a mason jar. And I was asking them about it. I was like, what is all this stuff? And they're like, well, we killed that big pig. That's everything that we found in him. 
I can't remember how many slugs, uh, <laughs> six or seven broadheads. Like they had found all kinds of stuff in that, Damn. that they said he weighed over 500 pounds. Whew. Yeah. The big pig I was talking about that had all the, the, they were just pistol rounds, but I think, I think he weighed like 270. So like half the size of that pig and he was big, big. No, thanks. Yeah. Pigs are scary. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're nothing to mess with. California, yeah. we had a uh, Russian boars. So oh, the story, right. wow. The story I was told was back in like the 30s or 40s, there's a bad rattlesnake problem in Vandenberg. And so they went to like a biologist and said, hey, what can we do? Like, how how can we fix this situation? And like, well, you know what eats snakes is those Russian boars, those wild pigs. I'm like, all right, let's get us some. So supposedly the government brought some Russian boars over and turned them loose. And that's why there's pigs on the California coast. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. There's an old man. I used to hang out with him when I lived there. We called him Bill the pig man. And <laughs> what, a, what a nickname. Yeah. It's, he drove around. He had magnets made. He killed some big pigs and had magnets made of their mount that he did like the shoulder mount uh-huh. had him on the side of his truck. He lived in a camper on base. <laughs> like he'd come okay. up there for, two weeks at a time then go home for two weeks at a time think like he's a cool old man but he killed uh i don't know how many pigs that's why i call him the pig man because that's all he did he was retired navy and then he got a federal job retired from it and then got some other federal deal ended up retiring from that so he had three retirement checks coming in nothing to do so he just hunted and just dropping hogs oh yeah i mean he killed some monsters and in California you have to tag them. It's not like oh, really? California. Yeah. You have to buy tags. You can only hunt them like the same hours you hunt a deer, 30 minutes before sunrise, 30 minutes after sunset. And so he would drop these monsters, but when you kill them, they want you to take the carcass in. And so they could take a blood test and send off. So you couldn't really quarter a pig and haul it in. They wanted the full carcass and so there were some pigs that he brought in it took like three guys loading his truck Jeez. <laughs> that's awesome the pig man that's pretty cool yeah. all right we've gotten off track we're talking too much about pigs here justin unless you want to tell another <laughs> story about putting one down um i know you've gone uh-huh. to africa and you've done a bunch of other stuff give us give us another story before we uh we dive into the science of uh of hogs and, and all that stuff <laughs> right the story I, after Korea, I got stationed in Utah, and I'd never been in a situation where I could really hunt elk. And so when I lived in Utah as military, I got to buy resident license, and archery elk tags were over-the-counter unlimited. They, At the time, the state figured if you're dumb enough to chase them with the bow, you can have a tag. <laughs> and so we would go up, like the Wasatch Front, um, kind of over by Snow Base and the Ski Resort, Okay. and I would hunt these elk. And so I, that's also the first time I ever learned about Vortex. My first pair of binos that I bought because I wanted to glass up these elk. Yeah. So I'm getting all set up. Talking How long ago was this roughly? This was 2008. Okay. Got it. So 2008, I'm out there. I meet this guy. He's like, yeah, you know, this is back before too. A lot of podcasts. And there wasn't social media and like elk you gotta learn it yourself, right? Yeah, this this was read magazines, talk to people, yeah. kind of 
And so this guy's uh, the local. He's like, oh, man, there's a hog wallow over in this area. Well, not a hog wallow, but an elk wallow. I'm like, all right. So he kind of gives me roundabout directions. And I hike over there. I set up. And I'm hike, I'm hunting with this guy named Joe that I met in the mountains. And he's he's got a mule deer tag. I've got an elk tag. And the area we're going to was a cow spike only. No bulls. So we go over there. We finally find out where this guy's talking about. We set up on some trees. We got ourselves, we think, a pretty good spot. And a six-by-six six elk walks in. Beautiful elk. To me, probably at the time, the biggest elk I've ever seen. Which, I mean, it was by no means a monster, but if you've never seen one before in person, it was massive. Yeah. So I'm sitting there on this tree, and he comes in, gets a drink of this water. He's at 25 yards probably. I'm just staring at him. And he's there long enough I can think in my head, all right, I know the bull zone starts 100 yards that way. If I shoot him, will he run that far? Can I say I shot him there and he ran here? You know, and yeah. it, it kind of sounds bad, but in a way, I mean, I think anybody has these thoughts at some point or another. Oh, yeah. I let him walk away. I was like, well, maybe a cow will come in or maybe I'll get on him in a different zone. So I let him walk. I turn to Joe and he's like, man, that was so awesome. I've never seen one up close like that. It's cool. Like, let's just stay here and see if a cow comes in because we know they're moving. And maybe an hour later, big old mule deer comes in, in velvet, beautiful, symmetrical. And I'm sitting there like, oh, I'm waiting to see Joe's arrow fly because he's got the mule deer tag. It's happening. We're yeah. going to be packing this thing out. Like, at least we're getting we're getting some meat out of this hunt. Nothing. Nothing. Mule deer just walks away. Oh, no. <laughs> and I turned it. I was like, damn, Joe, why didn't you shoot? Man, I never had a shot. I was like, man, I wish you were in my spot. I had him broadside all day. He goes, why didn't you shoot? I was like, I don't have the tag. He goes, just shoot him. I just want the meat. You can have the head. I'll put my tag on him. I'm like, why don't we make this deal before we come out here? (laughs) (laughs) So after, I was only in Utah for two years, but two years hunting Utah, I never did get an elk. To this day, I still haven't shot an elk yet. They're tricky. They're tough. I've I've got more of the muzzleloader, but. I'm still uh, still working on the archery elk. Yeah, I got I got real bored rifle hunting a few years ago. Probably, I don't know, six years ago, it became so boring. You know, deer walks out four or five hundred yards, boom, okay. Like the thrill, that rush that I had when I was crawling for that doe, just mm-hmm. wasn't there. So at that point, I was like, yeah, no more. I'm just gonna bow hunt. So now I just got it in my mind that I'm only gonna bow hunt. So. <laughs> I'm I'm a glutton for my own punishment in a way. It's tough. It's tough. I I am dedicated to to bow hunting as well. Like I'm gonna put my effort into that. But uh, here in Colorado, I found a way to get a cow elk rifle tag for third season every year that I can have in conjunction with my archery tag. So um, it's it's kind of like my okay. If I don't put down something, then at least I have one more chance to just oh, fill yeah. the freezer. So it's it's a bad addiction. I've already said that before, but I mean, you know, what's funny though, is I've, I've talked to a lot of people here, Justin and, uh, everybody that's done archery and had that sensation and, and gone through it and gotten up close on some critters. It, it, it does it for them. Everybody. There's no one that hasn't tried archery and gotten into one of those really close situations that isn't just completely hooked. So if you guys are listening out there and you haven't tried archery, I'm telling you, 
you got to try it. Um, you got to buy a bow or borrow a bow like Justin did and get in there and get it done because it is addicting and it's, um, it's a way of life. Right, Justin? It's, oh, it's, there's times I'd set my blind here in Texas. I'd sit there and I'd watch deer. I'd have deer walk within five yards of me from a blind and just like, it. it's a rush knowing that you're there. They don't really know you're there. Yeah. Even if you're not going to shoot them up. I've got probably a thousand pictures on my phone of me just taking pictures of deer and sending Snapchats to friends in a way, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's fun. It's a cool experience to me. Um, I got, it's probably, probably about six, seven years ago. I got into, I learned about indoor archery, like competitions. So I started competing a little bit in that and I got more into that. And then that made me want art bow hunting even more. And so now I've got a target bow. I've got two recurve bows. I got a hunting compound bow. It's wow. I, I spend money on archery like crazy, and it's <laughs> yeah, it's just what I do. More expensive I mean, than drugs sometimes. Oh yeah, I, uh, I I bought a bow because of hunting, and I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to try it, and um, I I've gone to a bunch of those you know indoor ranges. Didn't fall in love with archery at that time. It was just sort of like practicing so that I get better at hunting. Uh, but 3D courses for me are like just so much fun. And I uh, joined several local courses that I go to as often as I can. And uh, it's just it's just made the entire sport more fun for me. So that, that that's my path. But I've never tr- I've never been in a tournament. Um, so maybe I should try that because I'm, I'm it's very a rush. competitive. So it, that's, that's the closest thing I can get to the rush of hunting without hunting because so for instance we have a thing here it's uh through the tfa Texas field archery association which is mm-hmm. a sub part of the national field archery um and it's called shoot your way across texas and so they have shoots all over the state of texas they start next month actually and you got as many as you want they take your top three scores and you got the state championship which is in roanoke down by dallas and then you shoot a saturday sunday there and it, you'll get a year-end shooter award, and then whoever won the state shoot gets an award. But when you go That's down cool. there, it's there'll be 50 people on the line if you're shooting at the same time. So when they say fire when ready, it's just 50 people shooting all at once. Doom, doom, and it's there's people in the stands watching you. There's people behind you. All your competitions there watching you. So it it, it brings that thrill back and that nerves and yeah. That's cool. That's super cool. Do you, um, and in those, do they have like different divisions, like hunting setup versus an actual like target setup or anything like that? Is it just, Oh, they do. Whatever so bow? like when it comes to compound, the two big classes are going to be, they call it bow hunter freestyle. So it'll be kind of like hunting setup. You're not allowed to have any kind of magnification lenses in your sight. Got it. Um, your stabilizer can't be more than 12 inches off the front of your bow. And then the big class, the open class is called freestyle, and that's a free-for-all. You can have four power lenses, six power lenses, 36-inch front bar. <laughs> I mean, it's – so it's – and there's classes yeah, for everybody. It's fun. I mean, it's good practice for hunting because one scoring round, uh, you do two warm-up rounds, and then you shoot for score, and it ends up being 70 arrows. So, I mean, wow. you get plenty of reps in. and yeah really get to fine tune your equipment throughout the year. Same as 3d. Yeah. 
Yeah, my goal this year is to get to several different uh, 3D. You know, they, I don't know if I'd call them tournaments, but 3D shoots. So, uh, and there's a bunch in my region, so I'm sure I'll have plenty of luck doing getting that accomplished. So, one, but again, one we've got an off subject, Justin. Oh, you, go yeah. ahead. Go ahead. I was gonna say <laughs> one thing I look forward to every year is uh, it's kind of like the Total Archer Challenge called Hike to Hunt. Okay. They have they have one in Angel Fire, New Mexico, every year, and it's a blast. Take the chairlift up, then hike around the ski ranges, the slopes, shoot 3D targets. Um, this year, the furthest shot was 130 yards at an elk uphill. Ooh. Yeah, it was a poke. Yeah, I'm not sure if my site's set up for something like that. I think I can do about <laughs> 110, maybe 120, but I don't know about 130. Um, yeah, I did, uh, I did one total archery challenge. I wanted to get to a mountain archery fest, didn't get to that one, but the best event I did this last year and this is a plug for these guys for sure, was the um, the Western Hunt Fest put on by the guys from Pack'em Out Apparel. Um, great shoot. They also had a pack-out challenge, which was really, really fun, where you simulated you know, the weight of elk meat, and you had to go through a mountain course about a mile and a half. Um, that was hard. Um, but the best thing about the shoot was uh, of the 26 different um, you know, targets – six of them, they had like a special thing. So like one was like, you're not going to just walk up on an animal and shoot. You have to crawl from this cone to this cone, then get up and shoot. Or another one was like, you had to run from here to there um, and then back and then shoot within five seconds of getting back. And so they, they had like tasks associated with some of the shooting. So it made it for a lot of fun. I think the most fun one was like, don't be a Karen heckle the other shooters. So like everybody's like <laughs> fucking you with arrows, smacking you. And then you're supposed to shoot, you know, at this moose target that's 70 yards away while people are just talking trash to you. It was a ton of fun. That sounds like a blast. Yeah. I, I think they're actually going to start a second one. They're based out of Southern Colorado, um, but they've got a lot of friends in New Mexico. So I think they're going to expand next year and maybe do two. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if these guys are doing them all over the country eventually. Cause it was, it was just so much fun. That sounds like tons of fun. Yeah, and uh, I'm actually going to have uh, Jeffrey Duvall, who's one of the folks that ran that thing on the podcast here in a couple weeks. So that's sweet. Uh, like well, I'm sure that. we'll learn more about it. Yeah, man. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you the link. I'll, I'll maybe even put it in the show notes for this one. But uh, yeah, Western Hunt Fest. It's I couldn't uh, speak higher of it. And you know, I've been to Total Archery Challenge and things like that, and those are great. But Western Hunt Fest was totally different. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Okay. No more All archery. Right. Well, I mean, we'll talk a little bit about archery, but let's talk some hunting stories. Um, so a couple years ago, pre-COVID actually, I went to a Mule Deer Foundation banquet here in Amarillo and a friend of mine was on the committee and he said, Hey, we need an auctioneer. You know anybody? I was like, Oh, I got a buddy in Oklahoma. He does cow auctions, horse auctions, stuff like that. I can bring him in. He's like, all right, cool. Yeah. We'll just give y'all, we'll just give him tickets for coming, you know, free dinner tickets for raffles, stuff like that. He comes down. Almost nobody comes to this banquet because the advertising wasn't the greatest. Well, it happened to be a four-person archery hunt or a four-person African safari. And my buddy Lane, he's like, hey, man, let's buy this. He's like, when are we ever going to go to Africa? I was like, Lane, I doubt we can afford it. Here's your talent <laughs> this thing's going to go. Now, granted, there wasn't very many people there. Yeah. And it was us and one other person really bidding on it. So we got it for a really good well, It was ride. like silent auctions, right? No, it was an actual live auction, but nobody oh, wanted okay. to bid on it. So we got it, we got it for a decent price, and we waited and waited. Uh, COVID hit, kind of shut everything down. So last year, we finally got to go, and people were still scared over COVID because I mean, it's only been a year. 
And so the person he was going to bring with him, he flaked out. And then I just happened, a good friend of mine here that uh, he's a great guy. And he'll, he's the kind of person who'll give you anything he has. And so I use his shop all the time to work on my trucks or cars, you know. And he's got every tool you could think of because he's welded in the oil field for years. And so I was like, hey, Randy, you want to go to Africa? Yeah, I do. I want to go someday. <laughs> I was like, hey, we're going this year. You want to go? He goes, I don't know. No, no. Like, I'll give you the spot for free. You just got to buy your own plane ticket. You shoot more animals over there. You you know, you got to pay for that. But the 10 days lodging and meals and these two animals are included. You can have them for free. So what are the two animals, there? if you don't mind me interrupting you? Um, so we each got a warthog. It was a four-person hunt. So each person got a warthog. Then each person got to choose between a blessed buck and an impala. And when it. you get over there, you can pick which one you wanted. Uh, he ended up shooting an impala. I shot a blessed buck. So we finally get it all planned out. We're all excited. It was September of last year. We get everything together. None of us had. I was the only person that really traveled, traveled international. But all my international travel was with the military. So it was a little different. So we kind of get all our ducks in a row. Uh, Lane ends up renting a rifle over there. And me and Randy both just take bows. And I, the outfitter I went with, his name's A.B. Stein. Uh, you know Kendall Jones, the tech cheerleader that got in a bunch of trouble? Well, they got harassed over shooting a lion and death threats and all that crap. Yeah, you know, I'm not familiar with her. Uh, I think I know the story more than I know her, but I think she was at Colorado Tech because the guy that I was shooting with was like, that's Kendall Jones. And I'm and we kind of had this exact conversation where he's like, do you know who that is? And I'm like, no. So I kind of know who it is, <laughs> but I know who she yeah. is because I didn't know who she was. So kind of. Yeah, so turns out the guy that I was going with is was really good friends with her dad. And uh, this outfitter, A.B. Stein, is the one that she'd done a lot of her Africa trips with. But either way, so we go over there, we get to meet AB. I tell him offhand, it's like, hey, me and my one buddy are just bringing bows. Lane wants to rent a rifle. Okay, no, no, no big deal. We get over there, get set up. It's like, all right, let's get y'all on animals day one. Which, I mean, we were kind of jet lagged a little bit, but right off the bat next morning, we were in a, we were hunting. And so to cover scent over there, they burn rhino dung, like rhino shit. Just, right. It just smells like a grass fire, and so all those animals over there just think, "Oh, it's just a grass fire, no big deal." Interesting. That's how. Yeah, it was, I it blew my mind. So day one, uh, they set me up in a blind over some water. I'm like, "Oh, we're just gonna see what comes in." And right off the bat, I had a rhino walk in, which they're a lot bigger in person than they what they look like at the zoo. I'll tell you that much. I bet. Um. Had an Elan cow come in and had a big kudu come in. And the PH I was with, his name's Paul. He's like, oh, that's a monster kudu. I was like, oh, he's cool looking. He goes, you want to shoot it? I was like, no, nah, man, I don't want to. 14 yards. Oh, wow. And he's like, <laughs> what, would that, what would that have cost if you had decided to shoot it? Because I know that's extra. $2,600. Okay. Not terrible, Africa's, but yeah. Africa's a lot cheaper than what people think. Yeah, so, I imagine the, the, the lodging and the travel and those things are probably the more expensive portion of it. So you had that covered. Almost every outfitter over there I've learned does packages for lodging. If I mean, if you really want to make a custom package, they have a flat fee for lodging and meals. But most of them you can buy a package deal and uh, lodging and meals are included. Hmm. 
Interesting. So it's, it's not bad. Yeah. But so we're sitting there. Kudu comes in, and Paul's smoking a cigarette. He gave me a cigarette, which I don't smoke very often. <laughs> this Kudu's in there because I mean I've never been in South Africa, and he's a PH professional hunter. I was like, okay, okay maybe know something. Um, so I got a cigarette in my hand, and I got looking out this one of this kudu, 14 yards. It's like, oh, you want to shoot him? I was like, no, I don't want a kudu. I just let him walk. Paul's face just went white, like, oh, crap, what did I get into? <laughs> but we ended up waiting out the day, and I got a warthog uh, with my bow. We I passed probably 30, 35 warthogs before I got one good size that I wanted. Got him. Uh, I think he was like 35 yards, 30 yards, somewhere around there. So then the next day, I was like, all right, you got your other animal. You know, you need a blessed buck or an Impala. All right, well, let's go out. So we go to a different place, um, set up in a different blind. We're sitting in water, and it's wide open. Like, there's less trees there than Amarillo, Texas. Oh. And it's just, it's hard. Like, you can't really... Some animals you could stalk on, you can get up in like the trees that they do have, but for the stuff that I was after, everything just stayed in the plains, like didn't go in the trees. It's a good so way to stay this... alive. I, I know oh, there's yeah, a sure. pronghorn antelope, right? That's their territory, and I tried hunting them, and suffice it to say, they're all still alive. <laughs> we, uh, I sat on this water hole for a few hours and finally had a good blessed buck come in, and uh, Paul's like, man, I'm you think you can make that shot? I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm confident in my shooting. So I went back and I hit this blessed buck at 58 yards, 55 yards, and just zipped right through him. He ran 30 yards and piled up. Paul's like, oh, my wow. gosh. So I'm not familiar have... with blessed buck. How, how big is a blessed buck? Like, what would you compare it to as far as, like, a North American animal? Like, white-tailed, mule-deer? Antelope. Okay. So pretty small. Oh, yeah, they're not big at okay. all. Um, and so Paul was surprised that I hit it, cause, which I get it because I've known outfitters here, and I've known talked to those guys. You know, a lot of people come over there like, oh, I'm a proficient bow hunter. All I do is bow hunt. Then they just crap the bed at 20 yards, 30 yards. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I get it where they're, they're always iffy about, are you really that good? But yeah, I got the blessed buck down. We went back to lodge that night. We're all hanging out, uh, drinking brandy because that's what you drink <laughs> over there. Which when when pretty, in Rome or when in Africa. Yeah, it's the stuff they drink is called clip drift. It was pretty good. Mm. We're hanging out, and uh, I've been seeing mounts on the wall, and I, I saw a black wildebeest mount. I was like, man, it's kind of growing on me. And so they're like, all right, you know, what do you want to shoot now? You know, what do you want to add to it? Do you want to shoot something else? I'm like, yeah, you know what? I think that black wildebeest is growing on me. I think I want to get one. And A, B, the main outfitter is like, that's easy. Rent the 308 for a day. We'll crawl out about 200 yards, pick out the biggest one. You drop him onto the next animal. I was like, no, I want to do it with my bow. And he was, you know, hey, that's that's hard. Nobody really hunts them with a bow because it's so hard. You have to be so patient to get one shot. You can't stalk up on them. I mean, he was being 100% honest with me. Yeah. All I was doing was amping me up even more. Like, oh, that's hard. <laughs> it's hard. Oh, yeah, now I really want to do it. And so he's like, all right, we'll do it. And so we went out and built a blind 
uh, it's called acacia trees. They're like mesquite trees on steroids. Okay. So we built this blind up, and I can send you some pictures of it, but we built a blind around a water tank and a pond. Sat there for like 10 hours. Nothing. Never got a shot at one. Oof. Had Same a bunch shit. of blessed bock. Had warthogs. Had spring buck. Everything. Nothing. That was on a Saturday. Sunday they don't hunt because of religion reasons. Because everybody was there was very Christian. And so like, yeah, Sunday we don't hunt. We'll give the animals a day off. You know, we all relax. Hey, that's fine. So we went largemouth bass fishing. <laughs> so we went and caught some bass on Sunday. Had a barbecue at the little private lake. Um, and then Monday, right back at it. Like, oh, we're back on the black wildebeest. Still nothing. Sat there for another 10 hours. Never got a shot. We had some... We had some immature ones come in, but nothing worth shooting. Yeah. So that was three days of hunting done. So the fourth day comes around. Um, we're sitting there on a different place, a different water hole. I haven't seen these spring box. And the night before, they had fed us some stew made of spring box meat. And it was like little T-bone steaks is what they look like. But they're real sweet. They're real tasty. And the spring box, it's the national animal in Africa or South Africa, but it, man, they taste good and they're, they're actually pretty. So after a while, I was like, I'm going to shoot one. And so my wife, she kept telling me, she's like, black wildebeest are so ugly. They're hideous. <laughs> Don't shoot one. And so I'm telling Paul this. He's like, you should shoot a spring box. Your wife will be happy. They're very pretty. I'm like, all right. So that fourth day, uh, Springbok, uh, he's a very mature, he's older. He liked the tip of his horn, like the last half inch, inch broke off. But his cape was real pretty, no scar, nothing. He come to 15 yards, I let one fly. We got him, took our pictures, everything. They called the ranch hand out to come pick up the animal, take it to the skinning shed. And so when he, after he picked it up and he drove off, we woke up all the black wildebeest out of nowhere. We're like, oh, man, they're all standing up. And we just watched them through binos. Just How far out watching. are they, like 500 yards or farther? Oh, they're over 1,000. Okay. So we just watched them, and all of a sudden they start working their way towards us, coming to get a drink of water. We're getting excited because we had put in three and a half days. Yeah. Just waiting. just So like the, the buildup is just building more and more and more, getting all amped up. And finally – they get closer and closer. We start watching them. And Paul's like, we need to have a cigarette. Because every time we smoke, they, something comes in. I'm like, <laughs> All right, let's, let's do it. We got the rhino shit on the roof burning. Let's light up a, light up a candle. Yeah, why not? Yeah. And so sure enough, we light it. And they start coming in quicker. He's like, oh, it's happening. We're going to find one. We're going to find a good shot at one. All right. So they all come in. A bunch of cows, some young bulls come in. He's like, no, that one's he's mature, but he's not big, and this and that. And all of a sudden, one pops up on top of the levee. He's like, that's him. Just like immediately, he's like, that's it. He's like, that's the biggest one on the ranch. I'm like, all right, cool. He's at 50 yards. I let one loose, hit him, he runs off. All we're doing is celebrating. Paul goes out, starts screaming at him, ha, ah, got you. 
finally got you. Like, I mean, he's just pumped up. I'm pumped up. We're high five and we're yelling. We're, and we go watch him lay down. He lays down and then a younger bull comes over and starts hitting him and he gets up and runs. So now we're oh, tracking no. him. Every time he lays down, this other bull hits him. It took a while and he finally went down for good. But I was, it was such a big rush for me and Paul. So throughout this trip, these other, everybody else, like my other friends have shot stuff and we'd go help them load it up or, you know, if we were around, we'd help them. They all come out because they, everybody knows. And there were some guys from uh, Alabama there and they were hunting like a lion and a crocodile, the more expensive stuff, the yeah. out of my tax bracket stuff. <laughs> okay. And so they came over there. Like one guy, this was his, what do you say, like 20th safari or something. Wow. He's like, man, that's that's a great black wilderness. He's like, that's the biggest one I've ever seen. You know, congratulating everything. They're like, all right, see you all later. Everybody gets in trucks and leaves. So it's me and Paul there by ourselves to load this big-ass black wildebeest in the back of his little Toyota pickup. <laughs> so, how big, how heavy? Yes. Oh, he's big. Oh, man, I don't know. He's a couple hundred pounds. I mean, he's... It, it's probably like a young elk, okay. I guess. I mean, it's big body. I'll send you some pictures. So we we finally get him loaded. We're wore out from getting loaded. We're still riding on cloud nine because we finally got this thing in the back of the truck. Like, it's a done deal. So we go right back to Lodge, get a couple beers. And I'll, there's a song that he had showed me. Like, it's a real popular song in South Africa. It's a group's called like Sunshine, Sunshine Sweatshop. And it's like a little poppy. Are you going with me? Coming along? I can't remember. But we had jammed to it, partying a little bit. And so we get in this truck with these beers that we just got from the lodge. And we're heading to Skin and Shed. Windows down, drinking beer. And he just cranks that song on. And I've still got the video on my phone. We're just jamming along, <laughs> drinking beer, celebrating like we just won the World Cup. I mean, it was... That, that was probably one of the coolest experiences to, like, to finally close that deal. I bet. Four days in a blind, just sitting there hoping for that opportunity. And it turns out all you needed to do was have someone drive through real quick and wake them up. Yeah. I just needed to shoot something a day earlier, I guess. <laughs> but, yeah, that, that was a cool experience. And I'm going back, uh, not, not 23, but 24. I'm going to go back to South Africa again. That's cool. It's, um, what was the, what was the, I bet. What was the, uh, I don't know if it's a ranch or guide. What was, what was their name? The outfit I went with is AB Stein. AB Stein. Got it. Okay. Yeah. His company is like South African Safari. I'll send it. I'll send you a link to his company, but he's great guy to deal with. And AB, I mean, he's honest as can be. Mm-hmm. And he'll tell you, he's like, you know, we, we're not a cookie cutter operation. It's not, you come here. It's always the same. You know, we, we build this experience around the guys that are here. That's cool. He's like, for instance, if your wives were here, we wouldn't, when we went largemouth bass fishing, we were just sitting around chairs, drinking, drinking beer, cooking on this. They call them a bry, but it was basically just a 55 gallon drum cut in half with a grate on top. And we were cooking kudu sausage. If your wives were here, some of the other PHs would have come out, set a table with a tablecloth and like flowers, and we'd have made this very fancy. So 
mean, they, they gear everything towards who's going. And it, yeah, it's probably one of the coolest, coolest deals I've got to experience. That's cool. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm looking for a special event, so I'm coming up on my 40th in a couple of years, and I've already told my wife I'm going to do some kind of hunting trip. I don't know what it is yet, but it's I'm going to do something. And of course, she's invited, and I'm, I'm looking at like axis deer in Hawaii, or a moose in Canada, or maybe something in Africa. So send that link my way because I'm I'm doing a little research for a couple of years from now. Yeah, it's it, you'll you won't regret the Africa deal. I know that. I'm planning a moose hunt for Newfoundland in 2025. Oh, that'd be cool. That'd be super cool. Yeah, that, I just that's um, probably my bucket list item. Yeah, moose is really high on my mine as well. And I just spoke with um, Brittany Kitchen. She's going to be on the podcast. Her episode will probably come out a couple of weeks before yours. Um, but yeah, she's telling me all about these moose that they're killing up there in northern Alberta, and it's just it just sounds so amazing. So it's it's high on the list, especially knowing that like here in Colorado, I it's, you know I might get it next year, but it might take me thirty more years of putting in to actually get that tag. So. Might as well hedge yeah, my bets and go to Canada. Yeah, that's that's hard thing because there's a lot of places in America that moose is a once in a lifetime tag. Yeah, I met some Colorado. guys when I was hunting in Utah, and uh, this guy told me he started putting in for the moose tag when he was like 18, and he started a bank account, and every year he put in for a moose tag, he put money in this bank account, and didn't touch it, and it was the build up so if he ever drew a tag, he could hire an outfitter to make sure he got his moose. He's like, yeah, it's, it's taken me 20 something years to finally draw this tag. And he's like, and now I have the money in this account that I've been saving for 20 years to pay this outfitter to make sure I get a moose that I want. And I'm pretty much guaranteed to get a shot at one. That's that's cool. That's that's forward thinking. Not me. I'm just hoping to get a tag and then run around in the woods. I've been I've got a couple uh, units here in Colorado that I've hunted a couple times for elk. And um, basically seeing a moose every single day. So that's where I plan on putting in for moose. And so I'm just hoping to get lucky and draw a tag someday. Oh, yeah. So I'm sure you will eventually. We'll see. We'll see. Hopefully I'm uh, not too old to hike in the mountains and go get it. <laughs> yeah, I'm going. May next year, I'm going to Montana on a bear hunt. Well, that'll be fun. My, yeah, I've never got to shoot a bear. And that's something I really wanted. And I got invited on a... Uh, a deer hunt up there this year outside Ranchester, Wyoming, mm-hmm. which is up by the border of Montana. And the guy that put it all together, he's from Montana and his son came down. His son's probably 35, 40. I was like, man, I was hoping y'all had bear around here. I wanted to, I was going to buy a bear tag. I was like, I really want to shoot a bear. So oh, there's no bear here, but we got a ton up on our ranch. I was like, Oh yeah. He's like, what's that? Like, do you ever like sell hunts on there? Or... He goes, no. You know, growing up, we never had them. Now we just have them everywhere. Huh. I was like, what's what, the, what would that cost? He was like, well, I guess just get a tag. You can come hunt them all you want. I was like, okay, hey, I'll see you in the spring. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if you've uh, heard of Doug Bowes, Justin. He's one of the first episodes I did, but he wrote the, uh, the ultimate guide to black bear hunting. I've read through yeah. it once and I, I'd recommend getting that book because everything you'd ever need to know is in there. And uh, I'm sure it'll help you drop that bear next year. That's that's my plan. I'm st- I'm starting to do research now. Yeah, I, I can't recommend the book enough. With that being said, I've I've since reading it, I've only had like basically one and a half seasons, so I haven't put one down yet. But uh, I'm I'm getting closer every year. <laughs> <laughs> I'm lucky. Cody elk counts up there a bunch, and it's their family's ranch, so it's one of those deals they know the area pretty well. 
Yeah. So I kind of, I kind of have a guide. So awesome. Well, good luck to you, man. Good luck to you. So, all right, Justin, we, uh, we keep going into rabbit holes, which is pretty standard for this podcast, but, uh, any other stories that you want to share with us? I mean, you've given us plenty already, but if you have other ones that stick out, let us, let us know. We're, we're, we're ready to listen. I'm trying to think of some other good ones. I mean, I've got your, I got your everyday basic, like hunting whitetail, you know, sit out there freezing your butt off and they just come in during a snowstorm. <laughs> of course. Well, they, you know what, if you don't have any on top of mind, that's totally fine. Um, what we can do is we can bring you back on after you've been back to Africa and after you've killed that bear in Montana. Um, and you can tell us some more stories. How's that sound? Oh, absolutely. Perfect. Justin. All right, man. Well then let's do this. Why don't, uh, I don't know if you have an Instagram or, you know, anything you want the people to find and maybe somebody will click on it and maybe somebody will find you. Um, do you have anything you want to share along those lines? If not, then we can just say, you know, adios. Yeah. I mean, I got an Instagram people. I'm not that interesting. I'm not, I'm not some, cool, <laughs> I'm not some cool influencer. I got a bunch of pictures on, you know, indoor archery and stuff like that. All right. What's your, uh, what's your Instagram handle? It's a TX Deer Slayer 1981. All right. Perfect. And I'll make sure to put that in the show notes so that if anyone wants to check out how uninteresting or interesting Justin actually is, you guys can just click on that, go straight to it. Uh, but Justin, man, this was cool. You're the first person to give us some African hunt stories. Um, and uh, I'm going to think of burning rhino dung differently from now on. So thank you. Yeah, no, it's, I'm telling you, when he did that, it blew my mind. I didn't. <laughs> I, that's crazy I, I guess over there like i said it just smells like a grass fire and so between that and then people always burn it in their fire pits and everything like that so all it the probably burns there, well right yeah just don't get the wet stuff <laughs> of course <laughs> but, all right yeah, justin I mean, well thank you man i appreciate your time i appreciate you coming on the the podcast and um to all the people out there if uh if you have some good stories reach out to us just like Justin did. And, um, and we'll have you on and you can share your stories. So Justin, thank you for uh, blazing the trail. Just like your, your buddy, Phil. Absolutely. I appreciate it, man. Thank you again. Well, that's it folks. Another bunch of stories in the books. I want to thank Justin very much for reaching out. I want to thank his buddy, Phil for connecting me with Justin because he had some great stories today. Um, now that being said, guys, Follow him on Instagram. I've actually tagged everything you need to know in the show notes. You can see it there. Check out what he's up to. Check out his archery. Um, the guy couldn't be nicer. And uh, then beyond that, please make sure you follow the podcast on your favorite podcast, whether that's you know Spotify, Apple, you know whatever it may be. Get on there and follow our podcast and share it with some people. Leave some comments. Hit us up on Instagram if you have stories. We're trying to grow. We're trying to share more and more stories. And the only way we can do that is through our listeners. So, I want to thank you all again for tuning in. I want to thank Justin, of course, for sharing his stories. Now let's wrap this thing up the way we always do. Get out there and make some stories of your own. Thank you.